Good morning. Before we get into these beautiful readings today, just a little announcement. So I'll be on vacation for the next three weeks. And so I'll be out of, out of communication, out of self-service and, and the internet. I'll be going to Wyoming, helping out with Wyoming Catholic College. It's a small liberal arts school. It's only about 15 years old. They have a great outdoor program, which I, I love to help out at. So I'll be in the next three weeks backpacking with the college freshman class in the middle of the Teton Mountains. So I'll be in the middle of nowhere, hiking, backpacking, hiking for the next couple weeks or so. So I'll be, I won't be able to be in contact at all. So, but Father Reggie will still be here, of course. Then you have different priests helping out different masses. So pray for us, myself and the freshman class of Wyoming Catholic College in the middle of the Tetons, if you've ever been out there. It's grizzly bear country. Yeah. <laughs> but we're well prepared. But I'll fight one off if I have to. So. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So for the past couple weeks now, we've been hearing a lot from the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, out of all the four other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew is particularly powerful. It's written for a Jewish audience, so whenever we read Matthew, we must look at it through the lens of a first-century Jew. And then all of the, the highlight and the richness and the complexity will jump out at us. So remember, the Gospel of Matthew, written for a Jewish audience. Matthew will brilliantly separate his Gospel into five major sections of preaching that Jesus does. So he has five major sermons that Jesus does. And for a first century Jew, immediately, the number five would have evoked the founding scripture books of the Old Testament, written by Moses. The five books of Moses, the five sermons of Jesus. The parallels are absolutely clear, again, for the first century Jew. And it's within that context that we have these brilliant parables which Jesus is speaking about, a great mystery. What is the kingdom of God like? Isn't that a great question? What is heaven like? Are there, are there like clouds in the sky with marshmallows and reindeer and unicorns? Like what is it like, right? It's, and so it's a great question. What is heaven like? There are no unicorns, by the way, in heaven. And so Jesus begins to preach about the kingdom. And he lays it out. He proposes another parable. For the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is likened to a man who sowed good seed in his field. So immediately with the kingdom of heaven, look out through the lens of a first century Jew, it's all about the kingdom of David which God had established to the Jewish people. And how many tribes make, made up the kingdom in Israel? Twelve. The number is key. Because how many apostles would Jesus call forth? Twelve apostles. And he would send them out into the world. And the first words out of Jesus' mouth is, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So again, all this imagery of kingdom, twelve. Twelve tribes of Israel, now the twelve apostles the new kingdom. 
And Jesus is beginning to unravel the implications of what that means. Because especially for us first century, 21st century hearers, when we hear the word kingdom, it's lost on us. Because we don't live in a kingdom, we live in a democratic republic. In fact, we are very suspicious of kingdoms, aren't we? Our entire DNA as a nation is founded upon a rebellion of a king. So as Americans, we're very suspicious when we hear the language of kingdoms. But hold that off for this gospel. So Jesus has come to build a new kingdom. And he likens this new kingdom to a a farmer who's thrown out seeds into the world. And the seed is us. When Jesus at the end of the gospel explained, he says specifically, for the seeds if thrown out into the world, which the Son of Man sows, is the children of God, you and me. We are that seed in the world. But then notice what happens next. And this is a key point. So yesterday, if, if I look a little bit tired, it's because I am. I was in Reno last night. I had the great pleasure of celebrating a wedding at the cathedral there, a good friend of mine, and we had a beautiful reception. It was such a Christ-centered wedding. It was beautiful. And at the wedding reception, there was a part of the family of the bride, even though she's a devout, her immediate family is a devout Catholic, but there was a certain section of her family which had fallen away from the church. And they were at Mass, and it was a beautiful Mass. It was a powerful Mass, and we got many compliments for the beauty of the liturgy. But during the reception, that side of the family kept coming up to me. They said, Father, oh, beautiful Mass, beautiful words. And I used to be Catholic, Father. And then they shared their story. And the common thread for the family side of her family that had fallen away from the church was was because somebody in the church was mean to me. Someone in the church was mean. And that was enough to move them out. But isn't that a common sentiment? especially as what we're facing today in the church in the United States. It's all well publicized for the last 20 years, what has happened to our church. But the failure of some of the priests and bishops in the most heinous of ways. And we're all reaping the repercussions of that. And so how many times have you heard that from family and friends? Why aren't you going to church anymore? Why aren't you going to Mass? All because of the priest scandal. How many of us have heard that? I hear it all the time. So how are we to process that? Weeds and wheat. Jesus says as he's throwing out the weeds, I mean the wheat, the seed into the, into the field, meaning it's an analogy of the church, the kingdom here on earth. And Jesus says that the wheat and the weeds are growing up side by side. Meaning, 
the good will always coexist with the bad. And so whenever we see hypocrites in the church, should we be surprised? No. We should expect it, Jesus tells us. You should expect Christians, and especially priests and bishops, and all when you look out through 2,000 years of church history, oh, we've got some characters in our church history. Popes themselves, who have caused huge scandals, especially during the Middle Ages. Oh, you name it. And Jesus says to us, don't be surprised when you have weeds growing up with the weed, even those who are in leadership. They will grow up side by side. But what has happened? The weeds, Jesus will explain, are the work of the enemy. Who is the enemy? It's our enemy from the very beginning. It is that same enemy in the garden in Genesis. It is that same enemy with its slithering tongue which convinced Adam and Eve to rebel. It is the same enemy that we have today. The enemy is none other than the devil himself, as Jesus clearly states directly. The enemy, the one who sows the weeds, is the devil. The kingdom of God here on earth, which is established by Christ himself, in Matthew, continuing later on in the gospel, he will say that the church, founded upon Peter, will always prevail. That despite the work of the evil one, even though the weeds will continue to grow in the church, and we should expect it, the hypocrites in our midst, that the gates of hell will never prevail. That Jesus is founded upon Peter, this church of ours, even despite its human weakness. Who cares if wherever we encounter people who are mean, priests in the most vile ways have betrayed their high calling, bishops and popes themselves. It should not scandalize us. Because what does the Lord beautifully at the end of the gospel say? Oh, when the end finally comes, I will send my angels and he will separate the wheat from the wheat. The kingdom of God, Jesus says to us in our midst, will always be a mix of good and bad. But don't let that scandalize your heart. For Christ has founded the church. And he told us, I'll be with you forever. Just hold on tight. Grow in holiness. And let God take care of the rest.